Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. A four-year fight for dispatchers at Southwest Airlines finally comes to an end. Machinists launch a campaign to end workplace violence. And today on the show, we check in with the Cincinnati Building Trades and the United Steelworkers of America. Welcome to the Friday, January 27th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. James Hyden will be our first guest on the show today. James is a 28-year member of Iron Workers Local 44, and they are based in Cincinnati, Ohio. That's where uh, James served his four-year apprenticeship, and after graduating apprenticeship, he started teaching in the welding shop, did that for about seven or eight years, became the apprenticeship and training coordinator in March of 2015. Then he was elevated to executive secretary of the Greater Cincinnati Building and Construction Trades Council, and he's had that job for just a couple of months. He started that at the end of November of last year. James says the trades have been a big part of his life from his grandfather being a coal miner in eastern Kentucky to his father being a glazer in Cincinnati. That would be a local 387 to him being an iron worker. And he said, there's many times I could not believe I was getting paid for what I was doing. And then there's other times I swore it wasn't enough. I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. But uh, we're going to talk about the Cincinnati Building Trades website. CincinnatiBuildingTrades.org is their uh, website. And uh, one of the things we're going to delve into is the fact that they are the best-kept secret. Think about this. The education is paid for once you become an apprenticeship. It's earn while you learn. And many equate that with about a $45,000 education. Okay? You're not paying for that. You're working. Okay? You're working. And when you finish the apprenticeship... You're ready to go. And you're talking about a career that can take you well over six figures, great pension, pathway to the middle class. That's what it's all about. We're going to talk about what they're doing to reach out into uh, the schools and underserved communities in the Cincinnati area, which is pretty much the mission of the National Building Trades. And it's working. It's working. There's numbers on that. We're going to talk more about that in uh, future shows. So James Hyden will be our first guest. Then we're going to Pittsburgh to join John Shin. John, he's been on the show before. He's the International Secretary-Treasurer of the Steelworkers, longtime sponsor of America's Workforce. So he's been in that position since July of 2019. Long history. He's been a union activist throughout his career, which began in 1974 at CE Glass, which later became AFG Industries, and that was in New Jersey. Shortly after joining CE Glass, he voted for representation by the United Glass and Ceramic Workers Union, which later merged with the Aluminum 
Brick and Glass Workers International, and then the Steelworkers. That was in uh, 1997. John also partnered with the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers to launch an organizing drive for workers at Tesla's solar panel factory in Buffalo, New York. Going beyond the traditional organizing model, he and the IBEW worked with the Clean Air Coalition of Western New York and the Coalition of Economic Justice to build a brighter future for the Buffalo region. I like that when unions come together and do that kind of thing. There's a lot we're going to get into today, but we're uh, we're going to focus on one thing before we get to other issues. And there's so much going on with the steelworkers. But this is just another example of how unions are reaching out to non-traditional areas. And what we're going to zero in on is the USFL. The steelworkers just last month said that uh, the players have voted overwhelmingly to ratify a new agreement with the United States Football League. We're talking about 350 professional athletes. Tom Conway, the president, is quoted as saying, our union is committed to working with players to improve conditions and ensure that they are treated with dignity and respect by the league. The contract provides a much-needed voice for players whose jobs and earnings also will be more secure under the ratified agreement. And uh, John's also quoted in the press release saying, Through standing together in unity, players successfully bargain for enhanced economic and medical provisions, including a newly negotiated five-week injured reserve. Throughout the league, from training camp and throughout the season, players will receive better pay and more security. Good stuff. USW.org national website. Unions in the news, making news. This labor update brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. $17 billion in assets under advisement, serving the needs of Taft-Hartley funds, corporations, public funds, endowments, foundations, and religious organizations. Dispatchers at Southwest Airlines, members of the Transport Workers Union, Local 550, have reached a tentative agreement. After four years of negotiations. Let me repeat that. Tentative agreement after four years of negotiations. Here's the deal. The board's directors voted unanimously to submit the agreement to the full membership for approval. The agreement includes industry-leading pay increases and quality of life improvements and helps the workers who have been without a collective bargaining agreement for four years, like I just indicated. Brian Brown is the president of 550 of the uh, transport workers, and he lauded the hard work by the members to make the agreement finally come to fruition. This is what he said. Herb Kelleher, co-founder, later CEO, and chairman emeritus of Southwest until his death in 2019, once said that dispatchers are the heart of the airline. Well, we prove him right every day by ensuring a safe, efficient, and reliable operation for our customers and flight crews. So congratulations to TWU Local 550. We're going to talk more about Southwest next Tuesday on the show. Lynn Montgomery is the president, and she's based in uh, Dallas, Texas. That union covers the, uh, the flight attendants all around the country. 
for Southwest all around the country. And as you know, Southwest has had a lot of issues over the last month, especially during the holidays. We're going to get into that. It's my understanding, too, that the the new CEO came out with some bonus pay for the workers that work so hard over the holidays. But this uh, the guy that founded Southwest, the guy I just mentioned in the article, Herb Kelleher, was a brilliant individual. Things have changed dramatically since his passing, which is pretty typical of a lot of corporations, especially when you get a worker-friendly CEO. There's not too many of those around. Firefighters Union celebrating a provision in the recently passed National Defense Authorization Act that extends protections for the firefighters who protect our public lands and military installations. As many as 100 federal firefighters file cancer-related workers' compensation claims every year, but more than 80% of those are rejected. Well, the new law would require that certain cancers be presumed to be occupational, which ensures that federal firefighters will receive workers' compensation benefits. Now, the new rule applies not only to active federal firefighters, but also those who have retired in the past 10 years. That move, big win. Big win for firefighters. It is estimated that nearly 75% of job-related firefighter deaths are attributed to cancer. There's uh, one local that really pushed this. That would be 123. Their president, Kyle Moser, said that firefighters have been working to secure this protection for more than 30 years. Can you believe that? 30 years. Maine became the 48th state to adopt the cancer presumption protection Before the bill, says Kyle, a shipyard firefighter would be fighting fires in local towns beside municipal firefighters. But if they both got occupational cancer, only the local firefighter would have a presumption for workers' compensation benefits. Well, we want to thank a number of senators, Senator uh, Susan Collins and Maggie Hassan and the rest of Maine and New Hampshire's congressional delegations for supporting this measure. We're going to stay on this issue because this is <laughs> this is so important. And when you think about federal firefighters, a lot of them, you know there's going to be forest fires out west, and a lot of them are involved in that as well. A group of uh, machinist staff and officers recently attended a Be More Than a Bystander training. This was at the uh, William Wimpasinger Education and Technology Center in Maryland. The members are the first labor group in the country to receive training from the Ending Violence Association of British Columbia, which teaches participants how to recognize workplace harassment and violence especially against women and the LGBTQ community. The objective of the program is to help men understand the impact of gendered violence in the workplace and the role they have in speaking up. Julia Freachin is uh, a member of the IAM Women's in Human Rights group. Actually, she's the director. Julie said, it's an honor for me to observe the first Be More Than a Bystander program. I found it informative, 
And I think we'll be able to use this material to make our union even more inclusive and stronger than ever. And that's what we want. Strong unions. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll check in with the Cincinnati building trades. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Ironworkers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 ironworkers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union ironworkers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our ironworkers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers, where you can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to Cincinnati, Ohio right now. And joining us on line number one is a newcomer to the show. That would be James Hyden. They call him Jimmy. He is a 28-year member of the Iron Workers. That would be Local 44 in Cincinnati. And a couple of months ago in November, he became executive secretary of the Cincinnati Building Trades. CincinnatiBuildingTrades.com is their website. Jimmy, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, my brother? We're doing well. Good morning, all. All right. Thanks for joining us today. I appreciate that. You know, I always like to talk to uh, especially new guests about how they got involved in their union. And I was reading earlier, I guess your your dad, well, your dad was a glazer. Your grandfather was a, was a coal miner. Can you uh, give us a little more details on growing up in a union family? Well, growing up in a union family was different. It was the same struggles. Uh, nobody's born into a union, especially when you don't follow your father's or your grandfather's footsteps. So uh, my grandfather, as I mentioned, was a coal miner in eastern Kentucky. He helped with uh, organizing those miners down there. 
uh, and I was told, and I haven't seen the x-rays, but I was told that my grandfather died when he passed away with three slugs in his back from defending those rights to be an organized mine. Um, my father um, was a non-union glazer for many years and became a union glazer in the early 70s. So doing that, I mean, I've seen what unions do, what they're capable of. They raised, it raised five children, five boys. Mm-hmm. Um Five boys that ate like they were going to the electric chair every day, so it took a good it took a good wage to keep them keep us fed. Um, and then uh, I I seen the value of that bargaining force. I seen the value of the insurance that came along with it, our health insurance, and the value of knowing that there's a pension at the end of all of my hard work when I can retire. Yeah. Any reason why you went with the iron workers? I was always fascinated with welding on how you could you had you could actually fuse two pieces of iron together. And the iron workers was really the only field that I knew of um that did that. I didn't want to be in a factory welding on the same piece coming down the line every day. I did that. That wasn't for me. I'm not an inside kind of guy. Um, one day, I was I was actually a non-union glazer. I was working on a building downtown, um, sitting there at lunchtime watching the iron workers put up the air and off center. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's that's my job. That's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, this was back in the early '90s. You know, we didn't have a lot of internet then, so I had to, you know, ask questions and talk to people and found out that they were iron workers, local 44, and I'm a son of a gun if a couple weeks later I wasn't looking through the Sunday Enquirer, the Sunday Cincinnati Enquirer, and I found one little box about an inch tall, two inches wide, that said local 44 accepting applications for apprenticeship. And now I'm, I went from being uh, just a guy in the field, the, you know, guy in the gang, to foreman, to a general foreman, to the, I was the apprenticeship and training coordinator uh, the previous seven years before I took this position, and now I'm I'm the executive secretary for the Greater Cincinnati Building Trades. That is awesome. Great, uh, great rise in that uh, career there. You know, let's get back to the welding part. And I saw you're teaching for quite some time. That's pretty cool. That's pretty special. Obviously, you really like the craft, and you want to make sure you can uh, show others that craft can you can you take us back to that time and i'm I'm sure there's probably some days that you miss doing that uh yeah there are, there are days i miss that um because when it's just you and a student it, that seems to be that's all there is there's no other troubles out there we're dealing with that problem at the time but i had i had a really really good welding instructor um mike melzer uh give him a shout out he was um very meticulous um, little ADHD, but he made us do it right. I mean, even though we would pass a test by the specs that were there, by the AWS specs, he would just make us do it better, better than what was minimum. He said, mm-hmm. good enough is good enough, but right is right. So I took his form of teaching and the way he taught us because it worked we had a lot of certified welders, and I put that into when I started teaching. I actually started 
teaching with him. I was his assistant, which was pretty daggone cool to work with your work with your teacher on that same level. And then he retired from teaching, and I took over, and well, I taught for quite a long time. I did take some time off when my children were were getting to be of age to do the soccer and football and things like that. I wanted to be there for them. Um, and then when the time came back around that I was going to get back into teaching, well, the coordinator position was available. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got to there. Are your kids old enough to think about getting into the trades? Um, my children are grown. Uh, I have one son and two daughters. The daughters are the older. Uh, and they um, they never had an interest in the trades. Not that I'd. I let my children pick their, their path. Yeah. Um, it wasn't for me to tell them that this is what you need to do, blah, blah, blah. I let them pick the path they wanted to pick. I never told okay. them they had to go to college. I never told them they had to do anything. All I told them is that whatever you do, you're going to do it right or you're not going to do it at all. And if you there start, you, you finish. Hey, so, as long as they're safe and happy with what they're doing, that's the important thing. So Absolutely. Let's, that's the main thing. That's it. That's the main thing. And uh, let, let's talk a little bit about um, about how you got to uh, executive secretary of the Greater Cincinnati Building and Construction Trades Council and also uh, the work in that area. I mean, uh, I want to talk about that bridge that, the, uh, that they're talking about redoing, the Brent Spent Bridge. But right now, as we speak, what are we looking at work-wise? Work-wise, we're, everybody's pretty busy right now. Even the iron workers are picking back up. We had a pretty good law, the iron workers did, back in November, December. They were up to like 120, 130 off work. Now, uh, I was talking to the business agent yesterday, Jared Kemeyer, and he was telling me that he has between 20, less than 20, 20 to 20 all on the bench right now. So they're picking back up. They're, gonna, okay. they're getting busy again. Um as far as um, the bridge goes, that is something that's been needed for a very long time. Uh, in 1994, when I was a first-year apprentice, is when we were told we were going to get a new bridge and we're all going to work on it. I never worked on that bridge at all, not even <laughs> as a repair. Um, so you know, we just kept waiting and waiting and waiting, but you know, we didn't sit with our you know sit on our hands waiting for it. We had other projects going on. There was. We had another bridge that went on, a central bridge, that happened in, in 94 when I was going. It got in. That wasn't a job I got to work on. I worked on the Aronoff Center, which was up the street about eight blocks from the central bridge. Central bridge is right next to the Coliseum that runs from Newport, Kentucky to Cincinnati. The Brent Spence is the main corridor, 7175, that uh, goes from Covington, Kentucky to Cincinnati, Ohio. And that bridge is probably, oh my gosh, it's it's got about three times as many cars going across it as it was designed to have. Oh, I see. Yeah. So um, the lanes are very narrow. There, we, there are no, there is no shoulder. Um, if you have to get off the side of the road, you're going in the river. So it's very tight. It can be very uh, intimidating and scary at times. 
because of the trucks that go across it. Um, it's it's been needing um, some severe repair replacement, however you want to call it, for a very very long time. So, so essentially, when they built that bridge, they had no idea how much traffic, especially truck traffic, was going to go across it. No, no, the anticipation of well, that bridge is way past its lifespan. Typically, a bridge is built to be used for 25 to 30 years. That bridge was built in 1963. Wow. Okay. 1963. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, We actually have some pictures of it uh, at the hall of the guys working on it, building it. So, yeah, that that bridge has been there for a very long time. It's way past antique status. Yeah. Okay, but were you a part of that ceremony with uh, Biden and McConnell a couple of weeks ago? I know they got national yeah. attention. Yes, I actually was there. I got to uh, speak with the president and have my picture taken with him in the formal setting, not you know, standing in the crowd. So it was, it was very, very uh, different, very serene. Uh, sitting here thinking that, yes, this is going to happen. He's telling us that we got the funding the largest infrastructure bill ever in the United States, $1.635 billion. That none of the money like that's never been spent on an infrastructure bill in the United States ever. So, I mean, that's exciting as heck right there. Yeah, yeah, and long overdue, I might add. That's yeah. cool. That's cool. What a cool day that was for you. And uh, what, what, when, okay, okay, 28 years. <laughs> You've been waiting for this to happen. <laughs> do do yeah. we have any timeline on this, James? Uh, they are supposed to start breaking ground on things, um, I believe, this fall. Okay, early fall. So, but that's not saying you got to remember that everybody talks about the bridge, that part that goes across the river. Yeah, that's the part that everybody sees and knows about because it's the most visible. But the approaches on both sides are going to take a lot of time also. This is not going to be something that's going to start the fall of this year and finish uh, the fall two years later. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a a long, drawn-out process because that's how it works. We, we, yeah. it's not, it's not, it's not like, you know, bewitched where I cross my arms, close my eyes and wiggle my nose and bingo, it's over. Um, but it's going to take a lot of men, a lot of women, uh, to get this thing done. We're lots of rod busters, lots of cement masons, lots of laborers, operators, those type of people to get the, to get this done and working together in solidarity, which is going to be the most awesome thing is how these jobs work and people don't see that. They don't understand exactly. how they're, they looks like a bunch of guys out there doing something, but a bunch of those guys are doing a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Lots of different crafts out there. And you're in the middle of it all. That's great stuff. James Hyden joining us on our live line today. James is executive secretary of the Cincinnati Building Trade, CincinnatiBuildingTrades.org. Later in the show, we're going to check in with John Shin. John serves as international secretary treasurer of the United Steelworkers, and they're going to talk about organizing and also a great contract reach with the USFL. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. 
the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll-free at 1-800-443-3752. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora and Stitcher, and when you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. We're getting more of them, so please keep them coming. We appreciate you liking and sharing America's workforce. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, always connecting people with employment, good employment. You could find more at ulagency.org. Let's go back to Cincinnati, Ohio, rejoin Jimmy Hyden, who is the Executive Secretary of the Greater Cincinnati Building and Construction Trades Council, CincinnatiBuildingTrades.com. I would only assume you're, you're a lifelong Cincinnati resident, right, uh, Jim? Correct. Okay, so uh, you got to be well, pretty excited about this weekend with your Bengals going to the uh, AFC Championship game, right? Oh, who day? Who day? <laughs> Where did that come from, that who day? Oh, my God. That came from way back in the Kenny Anderson days when they went to the Super Bowl with the Freezer Bowl. Remember the Freezer Bowl? Yeah. It was yeah, like yeah. 14 below, you know, every, uh, a bazillion degrees below zero, one chill factor. Yeah, that's that started way back then. Well, Jim, I have to tell you, I'm a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan, and I'll tell you, I'm very, very jealous. We couldn't even get to the Super Bowl. I mean, it's just <laughs> been ridiculous trying to uh, to get this team on on uh, on track. And you know, I I remember the Jim Brown days. I mean, the glory days of the Cleveland Browns. But uh, congratulations to you. You're you're doing a good job with your team. Hey, let's get back to the trades here. I want to talk a little bit about uh, unions and uh, 
our school system. And boy, I tell you, I brought this up so many times on the show. I remember going to school and in high school when it, we had a chapter in our history books about unions and what they do. And they often <laughs> would portray unions as uh, a bunch of uh, crazies, like overturning a car in Flint, Michigan during a UAW strike in the 1930s. Oh, here's, here's, a, here's what happens with the unions when they don't get what they want. And obviously that, that shapes young people's minds. And you got to wonder about, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got to do a little bit better job on this. And I don't even know what the curriculums contain today in schools, because that's another issue with all the culture wars going on. But well, let's talk about when you were in school and educating young people about unions and obviously leading them to good careers, like in the trades. Can we, uh, can we get into that? Sure. I've been, I've been an issue that's been on my mind for quite some time. I mean, even back in 94 when I got in, we were told that the building trades is the best-kept secret in Cincinnati. And I, you know, we all giggled at that, thought it was kind of humorous. And then as I got through going through my career, I was thinking, why? Why are we the best-kept secret? This is ignorant. This is probably one of the best-paying jobs in the city. We make a good wage. We have great insurance, awesome benefits, a retirement that is better than anything you're going to find anywhere in this city, better than another building trades. Why is it like this? Because I remember when I was in school, we were taught about the pay market affair and things like that and mm-hmm. what the unions did and that they weren't the bad guy. They brought about things like OSHA. Now, you say OSHA today on a job site, and everybody gets all freaked out, almost like you said IRS on it. But they, OSHA's not what wasn't OSHA wasn't made to hound and go after workers. OSHA was brought about to make things safe for the workers, to make sure that the companies were the contractors are doing their part to keep their employees safe. Not to treat them as a tool that is expendable, but to treat them as a living life that needs to be regarded as such. Mm-hmm. So OSHA is not a bad thing. OSHA is a good thing. A lot of us think of it as a bad thing, but it is a good thing. Uh, things, uh, The other things that unions helped do was uh, keep our children out of factories going into those places and working in dangerous conditions. I mean, come on, 12 years old, sitting over top of a conveyor belt, picking shale out from the coal. Does that sound like a safe job? No, but that's who did it, those little kids. And, you know, they also brought about fair living wages, uh, the health benefits to make sure that, and uh, the one thing that they brought about, and a lot of people don't know, is that, one of the things that a lot of unions fought for, especially the building trades, was a, a funeral uh, a funeral benefit. So if that man died on the job, there would be enough money for his family to bury him. That was a big struggle. Yeah. You know, I couldn't have a funeral, so they went to Boot Hill and just got a stick stuck in the ground with number 975. That's, that's that's, there were many that did die on the job, too, because of the unsafe working conditions. Exactly. Well, not just on the construction jobs, but in, in factories. 
I mean, one of the worst ones, I believe, was up in New York with a uh, it was a, a, a company that made shirts. Mm-hmm. They had the doors chained shut because the girls wanted to step out on the fire escape and, and smoke a cigarette. Well, there was a fire. Doors were chained shut. Yeah. A lot of them died. So yeah. uh, well, things like that. But and the I, I asked my kids about it as they were you know getting into high school and learning more about history, United States history, and they said, Dad, there's nothing mentioned about unions whatsoever. I said, nothing? They said, no, not a thing. I said, so you got to the 1900s, late 1800s, 1900s, part of history, and nothing was talked about. And they said, no. I said, you guys didn't didn't even talk about when you got into the 30s about Bloody Harlan and the coal mining strike. They said, no, nothing. There's nothing, nothing taught there. And that is why we're the best kept secret. Yeah, we can't. The, the unions and the building trades. Well, the building trades I know of. Okay, I can I can speak more factual on this one. I know that we are out there trying to organize and get our manpower up and things of that nature, and it's not easy. It's not easy at all. There's no, the pe- people don't want to work. I'm sorry, I'm, I might be making some people mad when I say this, but. We've given our children, and I'm saying this as a collective, not that I did it myself. We have given our children every amenity that they want. We've given, we've way surpassed their needs and got into their wants, and they just think that they can get something for nothing. Now, Jim, I want to pick up on what you just said about uh, teaching about unions, because the schools are not going to do it. They, they, they don't you know, bring the books to show what unions did and what they're doing today. So I guess it's upon people like you, the trades, various unions to say, hey, can we come into your school and talk to you about unions? Can we tell you that there's a great career in the trades? Are they letting you do that, at least in Cincinnati? Some are open to it. Uh, I did I did quite a few um, school visits when I was the coordinator. Um, I would go in and talk about the apprenticeship. And sometimes I would go to the same class multiple times because I would be asked back. And we uh-huh. would talk about something else. Sometimes we did get into a little bit of union history. Uh, sometimes we did a math lesson. Just depended on what they were asking me to come in to do. Um, so it was, and it was that was more of the teacher asking me to come in, and they were welding classes um, that they were asking me to come into. As far as the general high school, um, never been asked. I've often offered, but never been asked to come in. Um, I think now. Well, I'm going to put myself out there and say that I'm going to put in a request. I live I live in Kentucky. I live about 21 miles south of where I'm sitting right now. I'm going to try to put in a request to speak with the um, the Board of Education at Campbell County and see if I can address them on this issue and see if there's something that we might be able to do. As far as you know, coming in and speaking with the class, um, 
and seeing where that goes. Yeah. And we can't well, just you know, kick the doors in and say, here we are. Right, right. You, you can't be reactive. You got to be proactive. You want to, mm-hmm. especially if you need to fill those apprenticeship slots. And there's a lot of work. We just talked about that bridge. And I mean, it's happening. I mean, with the EV production, I'm sure some of your members might be thinking about going over to Central Ohio on that Intel plant too. I mean, there's there's a lot of work out there, and it's good work, good paying work. We're talking careers. We're talking great wages, great pensions, all good stuff. James, I might have to button it up. I got the steelworkers on line number two. James Hyden, Executive Secretary of the Greater Cincinnati Building and Construction Trades Council, also 28 years, union iron worker, local 44 in Cincinnati. You uh, stay safe, stay strong, stay in touch. Okay, brother? You too, man. All right, we're going to take a, a quick break. John Shin is an international secretary treasurer with the Steelworkers, and he's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to line number two right now. And welcome back to the show. Had him on some months back. John Shin is the International Secretary Treasurer of the United Steelworkers, one of the many proud sponsors of America's Workforce, USW.org. I got to throw another plug here for Tom Conway, too. He did a really good op-ed on the supply chain and uh, you all know what happened during the pandemic this chip shortage and i'll tell you there's a lot of steelworker locals that are connected to making chips whether it's glass or resin so we're going to get a whole listing of all those locals do a shout on that but it's so important that we make sure we make it here in america 
But you know what? The steelworkers have diversified over the years, and they're now representing football players. John Shin, welcome, uh, welcome back to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, brother? Uh, good afternoon, Flash. I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, taking the call. Appreciate it. And we should point out that John is a big Eagles fan. I know the Steelworkers are based in Pittsburgh, and I know a lot of Steelworkers are Steelers fans. I'm a lifelong frustrated Browns fan. We just got off the phone with the Cincinnati Bengals <laughs> fan, and that would be the building trade. So a lot of football talk today. But let's let's talk about this sports council and uh and how this uh, how this evolved with the steelworkers can you explain the process here john yeah i'd, I'd be happy to uh, i was contacted through a mutual friend by the united football players association which was really a trade group and they were staffed by a few former players in the spring or arena football leagues in the past mm-hmm. and they form they form so they can protect players because what happened in the past with these spring leagues and a couple of the arena football leagues was when they went bankrupt unfortunately the players basically got screwed and didn't get their compensation and uh, they just walked away with injuries without being covered and expenses and everything else that weren't covered so they formalized this group and they contacted us and they affiliated with the united Steelworkers because they knew the only way they can get justice going forward for these sports leagues, these professional sports leagues, especially football, would be if they could unionize. So we worked with the United Football Players Association when they started up the USFL last year, and we were successful during the first season last year in organizing. Overwhelmingly, we had player support. And after the season was over in the spring of last year, we went into negotiations and quite frankly, we did a pretty damn good job. We had a lot of support from the players out there, and we got them a contract. Uh, we got a tentative agreement in mid-December of last year, and it was overwhelmingly ratified. Uh, I think it was January 8th or 9th of this year, and they have a contract. They will be unionized football players when they hit the field this year. Now, as far as, can you get into the details of the contract here uh, and, and also the negotiating process? I mean, you've been through this many, many times over your career. Uh, let's start right there. Was it, uh, did they play hardball with you? What, what was the scenario there? This, uh, this actually was kind of surprising. Uh, it was new to us. I mean, it's, it adds to the diversity of our union. We're a very diverse union, as you know, Flash. But yeah. it gave us an opportunity, and the NFL Players Association worked with us. So we had a local attorney with a staff rep went into negotiations. We had player reps. And we, we had the officers of the United Football Players Association there at the table to help us get through and maneuver through this contract. Look, it, a football player is just like any other worker. Uh, they go to work. They need decent working conditions. They need proper compensation, and they need protection. Um, the contract worked out to be pretty good. They got a major increase in compensation. We got protection for players that were injured and not playing. We got protection for players that were on the practice squad so we got compensation for all of them. But some of the bigger issues out there, quite frankly, is the hours they have to work in the camp. Also, 
We made sure they got proper insurance. Workers' comp was a major issue in the past. They were basically getting hurt and not being properly covered because they can get an injury that costs tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, mm-hmm. in medical care. And if they don't have the proper work compensation, then they had to um, obviously pay for that themselves. We got them good health insurance. We made sure they had a proper savings plan. We made sure that their agents would be recognized and a lot of different things in there, but it really was an experience for us in negotiations. And we think that the overwhelming ratification, the players were satisfied with what we did. John, I'm wondering here, is this kind of pattern after what the NFL players got? I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure the salaries are much different. But I'm just wondering, as far as some of the the benefits, and especially when it comes to uh, uh, injuries on the field. Yes, it really is, and that's a great question. Quite frankly, look, we we made sure there's proper concussion protocol, just like the NFL Players Association has in their contract, and it is similar. Quite frankly, I mean, it sets a minimum salary and minimum compensation. Now, these are professional athletes, so some of them can, through their agents, get a better package just like the NFL does. But this gives them decent living standards while they're playing for this league as far as a minimum standard out there. And, again, the injuries were the big one, uh, protecting the players that were on injury reserve for the week, making sure they didn't lose compensation. None of this was included in the first year out there. Mm Mm-hmm. I would imagine this was probably a learning process. I mean, here you are. You're nor- normally working on uh, contracts with U.S. Steel or uh, in le- recently Cleveland Cliffs, things of that nature. And to go into this this arena, no pun intended, <laughs> this had to be uh, quite an experience for you. Can you uh, can reflect on that, John? Yeah, it really was. We had to learn everything that football players have to deal with. And quite again, you know, D Smith from the National Football League Player Association helped us out understanding the process. And the fact that we had these young men that played in prior leagues and been through this experience and known what was needed in a contract to have minimum standards to protect them was very helpful, which has educated us through the process. It's no different than the, the diversity of our union I spoke about before. I mean, we just, uh, had successful campaigns with uh, librarians. We've organized prosecutors. We had to learn about the work they did. And again, when we negotiate a contract, we make sure we bring in a bargaining committee of the workforce, quite frankly. And we had the tools to get the contracts done. Uh, We just uh, had a major win at the University of Pittsburgh faculty. We're in negotiations with them right now. So it doesn't matter who we organize. We believe all workers Need, they need to be organized and have a work, voice in the workplace. And part of that negotiating process is for us to learn through the workers sitting at the table with us, quite frankly. Since we were successful in getting a contract with the USFL, we are in an active organizing campaign with the XFL. The XFL league will be starting up this year, so you'll have two spring football leagues. And like I say, we're in an active campaign. We believe we'll be successful in organizing the players who will be playing for the XFL. We hopefully get them organized this year, and we'll go into contract negotiations with the XFL and get them the same protections that we got the USFL football players. So we're proud of that. 
Now, what about the AFL-CIO? They're, uh, they're uh, really taking this to another level, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. Uh, they, at the convention last year, President Schuler formed the AFL-CIO Sports Council, and that's made up of different unions, including the NFL Players Association, the United Football Players Association, USW, which is what we talked about earlier, the National Women's Soccer Players Association, the United States Women's National Team Players Association, the United Soccer League Players Association, which is an affiliate of CWA, and the Major League Baseball Players Association. Through Liz Schuler's leadership, we in the AFL-CIO, the different unions out there, are going to make an attempt to organize any professional athletes that feel they need a voice and a right, rights in the workplace. Well, John, just to uh, button up the interview, uh, I just want to reference how big sports have become in uh, our society. I mean, look what's going on this weekend. You got the the championship games and two weeks away, we got the Super Bowl. But it's so important that we focus on those who play the sports and the injuries that are incurred and to have those union protections. Oh, I got to salute the steelworkers here and the AFL-CIO for embracing this. And, And John, just to close here, remember how America stopped when they watched that game in Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Buffalo game a couple of weeks ago, I, isn't that isn't that a perfect example of how important safety is? It, it really is. That was devastating. And you're right, Flash. America basically stopped. And I got to tell you, they're going to work every day. They're putting their bodies on the line out there, and it, it's no different. And we have workers die on the job every day in this country, unfortunately, no, no matter how hard the AFL-CIO and unions push for safety and health protections. But it's a reality of the situation. It was devastating. It got a chance for the American public to really understand how important safety and health is on the field, as you mentioned about the medical personnel that did an outstanding job to save that young man's life. John Shin, International Secretary Treasury, United Steelworkers, USW.org is a website. John, you take care, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Okay, brother? Take care. All right. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, organizing in Boston at a non-union construction site. Our presenting sponsor, Lyuna, will be involved. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.